1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Welcome to another episode of Rev Recovery, a podcast about um, leaving ministry, transitioning in ministry. I am one of the hosts, Sarah Heath, and the other host is... Justin Gentry. Justin and Gentry. It's, it's very good to have you all with us today, uh, talking about ministry and or not being in ministry. I think there's more <laughs> getting in, getting out. Getting in, getting out. Surviving, surviving the weird life that is full-time ministry and navigating getting out uh, in a way that is better than how I did it. I'll say that. (laughs) So tonight I am so excited because we have one of my dear friends as one of our guests, and this is the Reverend Rob Lee. Rob and I have been friends for so many years. I'm not even sure which one of us is the bad influence anymore, but I'm (laughs) really glad. Uh, Rob serves in many ways still in ministry, speaking in lots of pulpits, but was a full-time pastor for how many years since you graduated from seminary? How many years? This is how we're saying it. So we're saying it almost like prison years. So how many years did you serve? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I was full-time for three or four. That There were some off and on periods, but it worked. It, it was, it felt like for, a, you know, ever since like I left seminary was in that full-time ministry capacity. And that was a while back, 2017, I think. So, Well, we want to dig into some stuff. So basically, just to give you a little, uh, we're hoping to build culture, build culture. That's not the word I wanted. Build community for people uh, who are kind of transitioning and figuring out what does it mean to leave ministry or what does it mean to do my vocation differently? As we have discovered through all kinds of statistics, really full-time ministry is something that is going to be really difficult to continue to be sustainable. And so we wanted to, having both of us left full-time ministry, we wanted to figure out a way to help other people experience less trauma as they go through it. So we are glad to have you here. So thank you. Thank you. What are, what are you keeping yourself busy with these days, my friend? So I went from like full bore church pastoring and then in August, I was kind of, you know, there's a whole story there, which we can get into, but I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. This doesn't make sense. This isn't feasible for my life. Having just adopted two amazing girls and wanting to spend more time with them, I sent in my letter of resignation to my church. And it was a very like beautiful, amicable kind of like leaving and parting, which was really healthy for me because I'd been through some partings that weren't so healthy. We'll get to that as well, if you yeah. don't mind. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I ended up managing the night shift at my local Hilton Hotel, which is one of the coolest jobs that you could ever have. Like I'm I like it's nine o'clock here on the East Coast when we're recording this. I'm a I'm just starting my day because I'm going to work here in, in about an hour and a half to go work the night shift. And I I can honestly say I do more ministry there than I've ever done in a parish. 
it's, it's really a realization that vocation isn't where you get your paycheck. It's how you live it and how you live into it. Because for me, vocation was always like, I always assumed it was going to be in the church and in that kind of parish setting. The trajectory of my calling, the trajectory of where I've been and where I'm headed has always been away from that. So it's been this juxtaposition of living into, well, gosh, I want to be here in the church, but the church not always making space. Hey, Sarah, there's a nod to your whip, 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 other whip. podcast <laughs> nice. that always makes space uh, for me. And, and so that was hard. And yet here I am working night shift at the Hilton, finding myself more and more in line with what God has called me to do. Because during the day, I get a quick nap and then I get to spend the day with my girls that need me in this moment. So it's a really wonderful opportunity to meet the needs of others, meet the needs of myself, and then uh, find a way and find God in it all. I think one of the fascinating parts of your story, and there's so many incredible parts of your story, is that this isn't the first time you've exited a church community. So Justin's exit was similar to your first one, where Justin, you were released from your position. Was released to find somewhere else to be a pastor. You were asked to move beyond. And for yeah. Justin, the thing that I think was the the rub for his former community was LGBTQIA inclusion. Mm -hmm. And Rob, for you, uh, you want to tell a little bit of your story about your first exit? Yeah. So right out of seminary, Charlottesville was happening. Things that were important to me were happening in regards to race relations. And I was serving a small rural church in Davidson County, North Carolina, which voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump at the time. And was one of the most conservative counties. I don't even know how I got there when looking back on it, just knowing who I am and what I espouse. But anyway, I was there at that church and trying to make the best of it. And Black Lives Matter became a catchphrase for many of the work that was being done during that time and still is. And so I actually said it on television, having forewarned and let everybody know that this was going to happen in the best capacities that I could. And yet they still thought that Black Lives Matter was a terrorist organization. And, and, and this is not unlike many churches in our communities that are still very hesitant to embrace an idea of what it means to talk about race critically and effectively. And so, so this church got really, really angry. And uh, they said, look, we can either vote on your tenure or we, you can recant and say, look, I'm not going to, I actually don't believe that Black Lives Matter, which I think would be a horrible thing to yeah. do in any capacity. <laughs> uh, but, but all that's to say is I ended up resigning from that post in a very kind of public, like the most public, I think I have the record for one of the most public church resignations in a long time. Yeah, because your I mean, last some others name is associated yeah. For a lot of reasons and a lot of, oh my gosh, they came for you. Right, right. I mean, it was all over the news and everything. You became so. quite a public face for racial reconciliation from speaking on the VH1 award. Was it the VH1 awards? MTV, MTV. The MTV VMAs. Yeah. That's how you know I'm old. <laughs> MTV VH1, what's that? I still have your MTV book that you gave. It's so great. And I, I think it was such a public and knowing you and knowing it's odd to me when people say that you're like, like some of the critique would be like, oh, he was just trying to get attention. I'm like, if you know, Rob, <laughs> Rob does yeah. not love the attention. That is not, <laughs> that a, Rob. Is last thing yeah, that is not a Rob vibe. <laughs> and so having such a public resignation is so hard. And it was really isolating too, that I think encapsulates a lot of what people are feeling right now in this kind of great resignation, right? That is happening among clergy, among everybody is you feel terribly, terribly, terribly alone. You know, I knew I could text people like you, Sarah. I knew I could reach out to those small group of people who knew me for who I am. 
But when your name's plastered on Fox News or CNN or and I was on The View, I mean, like, it's hard to find who your friends were in that moment. Mm. And I think the same is true for people who are exiting ministry at this juncture. Like, do I reach out to that former colleague that I thought was my friend, but may not be my friend? I'm not really sure. Do I reach out to them? What do I say to them? These are the things that I'm kind of grappling with and helping my friends think through as they're kind of, you know, leaving this public vocation of ministry. Right. Because I think like Sarah, you, you obviously uh, have, have done so, some of this kind of ahead of the game and now everybody's catching <laughs> up. And I feel like I was on the tail end of the front end. And now we've got a lot of people just leaving and, and, and not really knowing where to go and how to do it. Yeah. That's something that Justin and I, like last week we were supposed to record, but instead Justin listened to me have a <laughs> absolute meltdown working on a resume. Guys, I had a meltdown working on a resume, not because I couldn't do it, but because it meant something. It means something when you change your vocation. (laughs) And luckily I had Justin who went before. Justin, did you experience that same sort of like? Yeah. It's an identity marker in a lot of ways. You know, your resume is this, this little sheet of paper you're trying to sell yourself anonymously. (laughs) Um, And and what little resume coaching I had ha- I had received was how to get a church job, which, well, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know, but maybe if you don't, the resumes for churches are very different than resumes for anywhere else. Like you're even encouraged, like say something personal about yourself, mention your wife and kids in the, you know, little whatever, you know, cause like that'll help sell you or whatever. And oh my gosh, they actually tell you to mention and your wife oh, yeah. and kids and oh yeah like not like not overtly because they're not supposed to hire you for that but mm, they do it's like getting a house in the suburbs in some ways yeah right well, yeah in some well, ways and sarah you didn't even you didn't even have like the luxury of resumes yeah, you in churches because yeah. you're just like you go like, bye yeah. <laughs> you go to the next place yeah they're just they have well actually but you have to provide they do want you to have a resume that you can like show the board. I mean, even the board can't really like not accept you, especially like no board is probably going to say, uh, I don't want a woman pastor. I mean, they're going to say mm-hmm. it before, but once they see, you know, so you have a resume to like introduce you, but like the language around it is not helpful if you're trying to get a job in corporate America. It's very different. And you build your life around, you know, these various things that you did in ministry. And then that's not a bad thing, but it becomes very quickly apparent and Rob, you probably experienced this too, that the things that really made you a great pastor, as far as things you would put on a resume, don't actually sell that well in corporate America. Like I made a discipleship program that grew tenfold of 10 years or whatever, like that discipleship program, they don't care. So there are ways you can change the wording. Obviously, you know, I recruited people, I trained people like that, that stuff can cross over. And, but when you're having to massage that language and change it and hide pieces of yourself that you were very proud of in order to get a job somewhere else in a completely different setting, it is emotionally difficult for a lot of people. And it, it requires you to really begin to reassess like what, what was, what, what I thought was a value maybe wasn't. And that mm. is, that's, those are difficult questions to have to ask yourself. And it seems so simple, all writing a resume, but it becomes this thing that becomes a lot deeper. I think for anyone transitioning careers, but I do think for ministry, it is a unique experience because you have the whole eternity, the whole calling, vocation, all that wrapped up into that. Uh, and it makes it, 
it's an extra challenge for sure. Well, I also think that one of the things that's really been hard for me is the searching for jobs. Like when you're on Indeed or whatever website you use, whatever website's sponsoring your podcast for job searches, <laughs> which you should totally do. Yes, but, um, for sure. But, but, but like when, when you're searching for jobs and then you're like, oh, I could apply to this and you just send it off. And you're like, you know, no, most churches would at least acknowledge that they've received something oh, and say, hey, so I've, got, I've got yeah. this. I'm sitting here wondering what I did wrong because I haven't heard back, you know, re- recognizing later that, OK, this isn't exactly how this works in a different field, a different way of doing things. And so it's just kind of like, oh, this is completely different from anything I've ever known. But that doesn't make it bad. It just makes it you have to go into it with this realization of it being different. I think there's like this identity thing. And then there's, for me, I launched a business right after leaving and it's going great, but also like you, it takes time to build your own business. And I had spent all day on the phone trying to get healthcare. And I think the thing that I want to help other people feel is don't feel paralyzed because you don't, you've never done it before. It doesn't mean you won't be able to figure out how to do it. I think we've sort of paralyzed a lot of clergy or And again, this is, we're only talking about our field of work because that's the field of work we've been in. I listened to a podcast recently where a doctor was leaving being a doctor because it felt like it wasn't their call anymore. And he was trying to explain to his wife, like, I don't know how to do things like figure out our healthcare because our HR department's always done that for us. So I think there's, it's not that this is unique. It's just, we're speaking to the thing that we kind of know. And I just have found it so funny. What has been the most shocking or weird thing for you guys, as you think about like, what's been the surprising thing exiting out of being a full-time clergy member? I think the surprising thing for me, and maybe this isn't fair, but maybe it's my own ego, is how easy things just move on. Oh, yeah. Whether that's like, you know, your church or people that you you associated yourself with in those capacities as a minister, you know, it, it, life goes on for them as it does for me. And I think somewhat egotistically, I thought, well, maybe that won't happen as fast as it did. And that's not an indictment on anybody. It's just saying that I think that I was kind of assuming that, gosh, the the world will stop for a moment and, and, and look at me and say, okay, you've done a good job. You can move on now. Well and done, getting people's early. Yeah, I haven't gotten that yet. I'm waiting for that still. Uh, maybe I'll get it later, but just for right now, that's not happened. And that's been really difficult, not because I need that kind of self-congratulations to make me feel good, but because I've worked so hard. I mean, I, you kind of worked, worked really hard, but days, nights didn't have that kind of same life that I have now working for a church. And then you, you kind of leave and it's like, oh, what do I do now? Yeah. Like, as you say that, I, I remember as I was leaving, there were people that told me, yeah, we're leaving this church too. I told people, don't do that for me. Like, if you want to make that choice for you, that's fine. But don't feel like you need to. Like, this is out of loyalty to me. Like, that's not, you know, I had volunteers that were like, we're like, we're, we're out, we're done. But within a month after I was gone, they were back. And, and that's not a bad thing. It was just this weird ego thing where it's like, I told them, please don't leave for me. But I was also kind of like, Mm, it'd be real juicy if a bunch of people left this church over this. Like, and that's not, I'm not saying that that's me confessing something that I should not have been thinking, (laughs) but it is this weird, like, Oh wow. People just moved on. Like I was never there within a few months. And I think that's the grief part that people who are in corporate or who work in other jobs don't quite understand because when you leave your corporate job, unless you're Jerry Maguire, 
a lot of people don't come with you. Like who's coming with me is not usually the moment, right? When you leave a church job, there is the potential of people leaving. And it's so, and sometimes that holds you into it because you're like, oh, I don't want to cause, you know, and it's a, it's a weird ego moment, right? Like, cause is it, I don't want it to be about me, but man, it's not about me. Well, I think the hard thing too is, you know, the, the other thing I'll say about like leaving the church and working at a job that is not the church that has been really interesting for me is I can, I think there's a real gift though, in that I can leave stuff at the door when I walk out mm-hmm. It's beautiful. and be like, Hey, this is not my problem anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is above my, but whereas, you know, there would be nights that I'd be sitting there in bed and Stephanie'd be like, what is wrong? And I was like, well, this church thing's happening and I'm really stressed about it. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to fix this. Whereas, and you know, I know that that's a difference in corporate America and in any different, I think, you know, there's not this much, you have to take everything home with you. Now, some people do obviously, and that's their own problem. But like, for me, it's been nice to be like, bye, I'm going, I'll see you, see you tomorrow night. So, and that's been a real gift for me though. Cause I, so it's, it's, it's fraught with both gift and possibility. Like, I mean, certainly there's challenges to being, to, to leaving something, but also, there's challenges to not being there. there. There's gifts to not being there as well. And I found some of those gifts really, truly. That was the thing I think that, so I went to I went to my former church community. I've had a different experience. And I think that's why it was important for Justin and I to work on this project together and for us to talk to people who have had different experiences. Because I think we often make it like there's only going to be one experience and it's going to look like this. I went to the church community that I launched today uh, to just to be in community with folks. One of my friends was speaking. This is the second time I've gone to the community since leaving. Right. But I've, I've done it twice now in one month. So like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a more than regular attender. You're, guys. you're almost a regular at your former uh, church. My former, I know, but I have a unique relationship with the, the guy who uh, replaced me in that, like, he's just great. Like we went out to lunch after and there is no, I don't threaten or make him nervous at all. And I, I know my place in it, right. Which is just to observe and be present. But I had a weird experience guys where I was like looking around and, uh, you know, there are some folks who are missing for sure, but there were also some people who left when I got there who are back. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I <laughs> like, I guess it was, but they were great and came up and talked to me and they're like, Oh, it's so good to see you. And I was thinking you left the church when I was here. And so it's, it, it's almost like a, a helpful reminder that it was never about us in the, in the start. Yeah. And I love what you said, Rob, about like being able to just sort of let it go. I think as I've been working in my coaching career and starting to consult, there is nothing better than being like, I am not responsible for you weekly. Like there are boundaries around our relationship. I'm coaching clients and literally after the hour is over, I don't have to worry if they're ever going to leave their church or like what's going to happen because so much of the work that you do within church world, you're worried that the thing that you did is going to affect the forever story. So like, like you said, when you do your work, you're like, I'll see you tomorrow or I won't, but like, it's not going to affect the entire, like, you're not going to bring down the hotel as a, as an entire thing, because someone decided that what you said was somewhat offensive and didn't fit into their understanding of the world, which is if you're a pastor, you're just waiting to say the thing that makes them leave. Right. But, but, and and conversely, I'm able to be at home with my girls where things do matter. Right. And, you know, during the day and spend time with them and take them to daycare and drive them to pre-K 
And I mean, it's all those things that, first of all, I never thought I'd be doing because I never thought I'd be a dad. That wasn't something that was really in my vocabulary. But now that it is, it's one of the greatest gifts to be able to know what I get to focus on things that matter while still getting a paycheck and then not having to take that paycheck and kind of earn it by, by, by grinding teeth and gnashing teeth. It's not like that for me anymore. And there is a gift to being able to not worry about those things that I have worried about for the, since graduating from seminary. And, and, you know, the other I'll say is, I don't know. I mean, that's, I feel a little unique in that regard is I have no idea where I, well, not unique. We all know, have no idea where this is going. I mean, I could very well be back in a church. I don't know, but right now this is, this is the best season of life because I'm not having to be that person who takes all the weight and takes all the drama and takes all the pain and the heartache. And I know people are meant for that and that's great, but I don't know if that's me all the time. I think that's something too, that is helpful to talk about. And uh, just, and I've talked about a little bit seasonal stuff and the idea that maybe your ministry was for a season and it might come back Mm -hmm. and it might not, but I know so many clergy or pastors who are in past the time they want to be also past the time that they are effective mm-hmm. or like need to take a break, but they're just in it because we have been taught once you start ministry, you keep running right until you retire. And it's so different than other professions where there is like, yeah, you can be promoted, but like not, not promoted in the same. It's not like if you're like working a corporate job, you, there's other places to go. For me, the like, if I had been promoted, I didn't want that job. It was district superintendent. I was already a lead pastor. I didn't want to be a district superintendent. And I sure as hell don't want to be a bishop. Like that is not <laughs> like clothes are cool, but like that is not what I wanted to do ever. Lord Jesus, please come yeah. back before you make me a bishop. Yeah. But I feel like there is this famous last words. Oh, I know I would be terrible at it. <laughs> well, and you know, like, here's the thing too, Sarah, I will say this. And, and this is maybe the first time I've vocalized it. So bear with me. I am a better Christian because I am not a full-time pastor right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Um, yep. I, I attend church with my family at Broad Street, which is my home church here in Statesville. I tithe now, which is like something I was like, you know, I'm just going to give my service. That's going to be great. I actually yeah. give money to the church. <laughs> you know, which is like what you're supposed to do. Like, that's one of the things you're supposed to do. And, and, and I, I preached on that, but it was hard for me to do because I couldn't justify just writing a check back to the church that was giving me money to pay my paycheck. Like that just, it, somehow it didn't always make sense to me, but all that's to say is I'm a better Christian now because I am not in a capacity to pastor full time. I preach and I get to preach. Uh, I'm preaching all over the place, but that doesn't mean I have to be responsible for what happens on Monday morning. And, you know, the fallout from Monday morning, I can just go and say what I need to say, and then people can get mad and leave. But that's a gift for me. And I think that's far more my work than sitting there weekend and week out trying to figure out how to mobilize a congregation that doesn't want to be mobilized. And, and I think that's the interesting thing about pastoral ministry, too, like the skill sets required, you know, a person that's a great administrator, it's actually probably not a great pastor, but also a person that's just nope. a great preacher is also not always a great pastor too. So like the, the number of people that I think can really do the job of a pastor well and feel within their uh, zone of excellence is a very small number of people. So I think there's going to be a certain amount of teeth grinding for everybody. And so Rob, it is really refreshing for you to be like, I got out, 
I have this job that pays my bills, but I also have this other thing on the side that I'm able to really enjoy and love and embrace. And, and that's really cool. I do find it interesting. I did want to ask Rob, you've mentioned it with your kids. Like what was kind of the moment you thought you, you knew you needed to leave? So the moment I knew I needed to leave was I was sitting on, we had just officially adopted Athena in Phoenix and we were at the beach and my phone kept blowing up with like questions that were so incredibly just mm-hmm. stupid <laughs> yeah. from people that, that at the church, like, how do we turn the copier on? Like, like, you know, stuff like that. And I look, I, I have such respect for this congregation, but oh, I was sure. so frustrated. I was so done with this, just the, the nitpicking and the constant texting and the constant, like I am on vacation with my girls, having just adopted them, having gone through a process that was really in depth and really, really large and a big part of our life. And then all of a sudden we're here at the beach, supposed to be on vacation. And I'm getting like this incessant texts about things that shouldn't matter. And your wife is not getting excessive and, you know, incessant tests from her work. Right. Right. And that's the other, and my parents were there. They weren't getting to, it was just me. And it was weighing on me. And my wife looked at me, Stephanie looked at me and she says, this doesn't have to continue this way. And I was like, Whoa, thank you. <laughs> because, you know, there's always that weight of like, you know, well, how am I going to make this work? How is this going to, you know, how is this all going to pan out? But you almost need that permission to break down in that moment from whoever's in your orbit so that you can say, okay, well, what would this look like if it didn't work out? And so the other complicated matter of this is with the girls, the, their foster parents who had lived, they had lived with before my wife and I went to the church. And so we were thinking, gosh, you know, we really need some space to make our own family and to make sure that the family sticks and is forever family as we want it to be. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. And so when I was thinking through this, I was like, this is a no-brainer. This is this is something that 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 for me, I have to do this not only for my family's sake, but for my sake as well. Like if I want to salvage any potential to come back and do this ever again, which I, again, I don't know if I will, I've got to be able to say, okay, this is a good stopping point. And, and we did, and it was good and it was healthy. They recognized that I needed space and I recognized that I needed space, but it wasn't like we were at each other's throats, which was really, I mean, a real blessing. And even then it's not easy. Right. Oh yeah. Like, I don't know about you, but me like audibly saying it and Rob, you're one of the first people I said it to. It's like, I remember we were like on a, I don't even, we might've been in North Carolina. I don't even remember where we were, but we were in. And I said to you and you're like, you're thinking about leaving, aren't you? And I was like, yep. And then I was like, Ugh. right. And like we it, got an argument about it too. Cause I felt, and I feel so bad about that now. Cause you were right. <laughs> I was like, no, Sarah, you have to stay. Yeah. Like you have to be this person. And I'm sorry for, for <laughs> trying to be that person to keep you because I think sometimes we get so short-sighted with these things that it's all about thinking, well, what works for the church, what works for the ministry, what works for the, you know, when really Sarah, you were hurting. And, yeah. Oh my gosh. You know. I was, 
burnout for a couple of years before I left. And, and when I, you know, it's sort of funny. I tell, I think about like, so some of my friends I was hanging out with this weekend, we're telling like their coming out stories. And I was thinking about like, for me, it felt like such a weird, like almost coming out for me to say, Hey, I don't think I'm supposed to be in ministry anymore. And some people reacted the way. So some of my friends were telling like, Oh yeah. When I told my friends I was gay, they were like, yeah, you are. And I feel like when I told some of my friends that I thought would be like, you have to stay in. They were like, yeah, yeah, you're going to do great. I think it's time for you to go. And I was like, <gasps> cause it's that permission thing that you had with your wife. Right. It's like a whole idea. Like Steph is like, Rob, I, you're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Right. And I think that's the other thing is that I have learned in all of this is to lean into the people that will take the jump with you, whether it's you, Sarah, or my wife or, or my kids. I mean, or, or countless friends that I have is that, that there are people that this just has to make sense for because they are more interested in your survival than the institution's survival. And for me, it is, I was not going to survive just sitting there and twiddling my thumbs and, and then answering the texts incessantly. What needed for my survival and my thriving was for me to say, okay, enough is enough. Yeah. You know, it was this funny moment today that I, knowing that we were going to have this conversation this evening, I was sitting in, cl- uh, in class, I was sitting in church and, you know, I, the divine and I are having some conversations anyway, about like, what do I really think about all this? I've gone through some shifts and whatnot, but I'm sitting there and the projector stops working as the poor pastor is trying to give announcements. And I looked at my friend who was sitting beside me. I said, <laughs> this isn't my problem. And she goes, nope. (laughs) And I was like, rock on. (laughs) It was like the best feeling. Cause I think about like how many problems and fires you're putting out. And it's not like, oh, poor me. I think it's just knowing like, Mm -hmm. and my system couldn't do it anymore. There was a time that my, my system could handle the constant text message. There was a time when I could handle it. And that time passed. And I think it was not healthy for my congregation or for me to continue in a thing when I was like, everything became like the copy you're not turning on became an emergency. Well, and I, I think if you look at it, it's almost like a relationship, you know, that, that, you know, isn't working and you don't know how to give voice to each other and say, I don't think this is where like, we could be a lot happier doing something differently. And, and that, that takes courage to say and yet there are pastors who will go their entire careers without saying it. They'll mm. live their entire lives behind that copier machine trying to fix it. And like, that's not me. And that's not, I don't think anybody on this podcast, but we have to find ways to give voice to it's okay to say, you know what, this worked for a season. This is not the season now. How do we make this holy here? Because it, it, it can be holy. And I think partings and, and, you know, leaving each other, I mean, that can be very holy. Um, and I've seen it done in holy ways. But for us to leave, for us to just assume that it will just work if we keep pressing on may not be the holiest way to do it. Yeah, I think that's the, sometimes we hurt people, like in relationships, you hurt people by yeah. staying longer than you should. Right, right. And what does that realization look like to say what, you know what, there is someone better equipped for you, better, better made for you. And it's just not me right now. And I think I've seen that at my previous church, you know, my associate pastor took over as the senior pastor of the church and which was kind of a weird dynamic, but it worked really well. 
And he's, I mean, he is just, he is on fire. He's doing incredible things with the church and it makes me so happy to see and for them to involve me in little ways, which is nice, but it's not, you know, not required. But all that's to say is I see the better pairing with them. And it took me kind of abandoning the ego and saying, well, gosh, I don't think they're going to work as well to cheer for them and say, you know what? I hope they, you know, I hope uh, my prayer for them is that they succeed in every capacity, Mm -hmm. just knowing that it wasn't going to be with me. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so healthy when you get to that place, it feels sometimes like you're pushing through turbulence or you're pushing through like some kind of like hedgerow to like, and it feels like you're not sure when it's going to end, but then once it's over, it's like, that was not like, I could have done that anytime. Right. Right. And and now you're here and it's a place of peace and tranquility. The copier is not bothering me. And the person that hates my sermons every week, but still comes and critiques them every week, you know, that person, they're not here anymore. And yeah, it is, there feels a certain amount of, of bliss, but it is difficult to get there. I do want to ask too, like, what are maybe some, like, I'm just trying to imagine a person, a listener, maybe they're secretly listening to this podcast. I love to think of that. I love to someone who's like work doing sermon prep on a Tuesday. It's, it was always Tuesday. And they're like, I got to, I got to get out. Yeah, <laughs> but, like, but I don't want anyone to know. So anyone like to know. maybe someone sent them this podcast. And great, happy you're here. So happy um, to have but you. what are maybe some for that person, that person that's like, do I leave? Do I not? Or like, I need to leave. What's the timetable going to look like? What are some practices, habits, whatever you want to call? It. I don't want to come to like, I don't really want to spiritualize it necessarily because that might not be for everybody at this point. But what are some practices that were helpful getting you from, I think I need to leave to I'm out and I feel good about that? Well, I actually think that one of the overtly spiritual practices that would that help me was prayer, but it was, was prayer not in the capacity of like being in a church pew or being in front of the church praying something. It was just sitting there thinking to myself, what would make me happy and what would light me on fire? because it was St. Catherine of Siena who said, be who you were meant to be and you'll set the world on fire. I mean, that, like, you know, that that's the kind of mentality that we need, not just clergy, but everybody to have. What is it that sets you on fire? Mm-hmm. And if it's not sitting there on a Tuesday writing sermons, then why the hell are you doing it in the first place? Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that everything we do is exciting. Some of it's mundane, but even in the mundane, you should see the holiness of it and the wholeness of it. Like there should be some real possibility there that it could catch on fire if you let it. So I, I think it's that self-realization that's important. I think it's also the the willingness to listen to the congregation and to the needs of the congregation, because they're probably feeling something similar to if they're, if you're frustrated with them, the, the frustration is most likely reciprocal. Uh, and I hate to say it like that, but I mean, Sarah, you put it so eloquently that people, you know, were coming back that had left when you were there. I mean, that happens. Right. That's normal. So I think you need to lean into that and ask those questions. Okay, where, where are we going? Because if you can't see yourself at this church in a week or a month or a year, why are you, why are you still pursuing writing that sermon on a Tuesday when you should be looking for other things to enable you to be who God called you to be? I think that's one of the questions that got me out, right? Was someone asked me, do you want to be here in a year? And I was shocked by it. And I thought, no. And, and that's okay. And, and being willing to admit that that's okay. Like it doesn't have to be 
this perfect, you know, nicely tied up in a bow reality. It can be, no, I don't see myself here. And that sucks. Or that's liberating or that's whatever. Just be, be content with the emotions that you're feeling, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. If, if the idea of not being there in a year is, fills you with relief and happiness, listen to that. Your body's telling you something, you know, or if the, or if the thought, like a thought exercise of, you know, let's say you get fired today. Let's push through the sad emotions. Like if underneath that is relief, that's, that's something to pay attention to for sure. Because I do think, Rob, you're spot on in that if you're feeling that other people are feeling it too, I started noticing like my, my, you know, my, my sermons, my messages, things like that. I was noticing more confused looks. My exit was more political, spiritual, and theological. And so I'm trying to hide that in some ways, like, cause like, okay, I'm dealing with this on my own. I'm trying not to give that to my congregation. I feel like that's pastorally negligent when you're like, Hey, I just read something. Let me throw this on your lap on a Sunday morning, but I, you can't hide. You can only hide it for so long. We're all deconstructing, then, right? Just yeah, we're all deconstructing, right? <laughs> and they're we like, all don't think this what? is real, right? You know, but it still starts to come out and people are like, Oh, what's he talking about? Like, and I, I'm trying to actively like, to be the best pastor I could be in the position I was in, even though it was very restricting for me, but noticing more and more confusion and more and more people like, what is he saying? I don't get it. What's going on? Like, Oh, this is, I I've moved on then. Like I am not meeting needs now. And so, and that's not to say like I outgrew them. That's not, that's not, I mean, I did, but that's not to say like, Oh, they're just immature. Some of them were, but I don't want to put a hierarchy on it, but it's just like where I am and where these people are is a totally different, it's different space. Yeah. And I, I need to recognize that and either get on the same wavelength, you know, one way or the other or move on. I think that's, that is the pastorally responsible thing to do. I think like to do your job. Well, sometimes that means leaving. You know, one of the greatest gifts that I've been given in life. And I, I it's kind of weird saying this because I, I used to hate it, but my bipolar disorder, I was reading the other day, and this really put it into context. Bipolar People with bipolar disorder have an average life expectancy of 58. Ugh. So I was thinking to myself, gosh, I am getting to be past the halfway. I'm almost halfway there. To, well, I am. I am now halfway there to whatever life expectancy it would be for someone with bipolar disorder, just because that's what happens and, and, and whatever. But I'm not going to spend my life whatever years I've been afforded, whether that's 58 years or 95 years or whatever, or somewhere in between, or even less than, I'm not going to spend that time unhappy and unfaithful to my calling, whatever that is. And, and I think if we put it in that perspective, like, what are you, these are years of your life we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, when we say, imagine yourself a year from now, that's a year that you won't get back. Mm -hmm. That's a year that of time that you could have been doing stuff with your kids or with your family or with yourself or with your podcast or with your writing or with your, you know, whatever. Those are times that you won't get back. And how dare we waste that just because we want to meet someone's standards for us or, or what is expected of us. That's just, that's just downright sinful in my eyes. I mean, that's, that's waste. Yeah. I think that's the thing is uh, you said something earlier about like, if it doesn't set you on fire. And I think the truth is, is like it, your job doesn't have to do that. The thing that is doing that for you right now is your home life. 
Right, right. And I think we've set this expectation, particularly those in the millennial and a little above and a little below, that you're, you're, the job is where you're supposed to be set on fire. And I think your life is where you're supposed to be set on fire. And right, if you're, right. uh, by the way, like being set on fire, guys, is a good, good thing. You know, brought a lot, what brings you it, life? Excited to wake up. Excited to wake yes, up. Exactly. Right. Yes. And I think our totality of our life has to be, you know, measured there. Like, yeah, I, I think it's it's really brave and bold sometimes to say that like the thing that I was getting so much applause for in some ways is not necessarily the thing I have to do forever. Because I think about like, Rob, like you were really and are, you continue to be really well known and you get to speak at events and whatnot. But like the precious moments, the thing that's bringing you life isn't that job that you're getting applause for. It's those two little girls that you're like having weird t- tea parties with. And like, right. they're hilarious and adorable. And I think like Justin doesn't think about you and the thing you've stepped into, like you're doing a job that's like, yeah, it's not my passion, but it makes room for what is my passion. And right now my passion mm-hmm. is my family and my mental health and like getting to be someone who is a CrossFitter or whatever the hell it is you do with that giant machine <laughs> in your gym. Um, I think that's just, it, we have to sort of uncouple things. Like you can't, you don't, it has to be in totality. It can't be like, only one part of your life. It, it has to be a balance. And I think ministry so often they make it sound like it's holy for it not to be a balance. And I think that's really unhealthy. You know, I was at a funeral um, a few months back, right after I'd left my job at the church and I was sitting there at Broad Street, my home church. And uh, I was, I saw a professor at Duke who had come for the funeral and the man said to me, he said, so what, what, what are you doing right now? Where are you appointed to? Which is a Methodist way of asking what church are you at? And I said, well, I'm not at a church right now. I'm actually uh, not serving a church. I'm, I'm at home with my kids. And he reared back and he smiled and he said, that is the greatest parish you will ever have. Uh, and he said, nice. enjoy it, embrace it, love it. And that for me was just like, this man who had spent his entire life getting, you know, multiple degrees, PhDs, all that stuff. I mean, he was saying that was the moment that I needed to be focused on. And that for me was far more consequential than any parish I'll ever serve beyond this one. So in me, affect, I mean, your, your little girls are going to tear the world up. My God, with their names, they have to do something. <laughs> yeah. Athena walked in here just a second ago. I hope that didn't, I hope it didn't oh, you're fine. recording too Not bad, but she walked in here. So yeah. I don't know why she's still awake. I love anyway. watching you be a dad. It's like the best. It's the best. Well, and, and that's, that's cool. the thing. I never thought this would be something that I would do well. Like I was always terrified of it. And yet here I am trying to make my way through it. So um, it's good. I was, I was getting ready. I was bracing myself for a terrible story. So this was, it was a delightful surprise for. You were thinking the seminary for, professor for would be like, well, you yeah, should be I, in a church, son. I was like, oh no, oh no. And then it was just, it was such a, a relief. Maybe it was probably a relief for you too, but for me sitting oh, yeah. here, I was, I was like, oh, oh, so good. Thank you. Well, it's kind of embarrassing, right? To say like, I'm not at yeah. a church, right? Like having yeah. gotten that degree. And I mean, like I went to the same, I was at the divinity school he was teaching at. So it's just kind of like, oh, don't, don't hurt me, please. There is a weird sort of pause. I know we're, we're getting ready to close up, but I'd say there is a sort of weird pause that happens when people ask you, what are you doing? And one of the things I've really valued is I worked with someone who used to ask people instead of what do you do? Like, what's your job? He would ask, what do you do with your time? And, and it made space for people to say, 
I spend most of my time on my hobby. That's blah, blah, blah. Or I spend a lot of my time reading or I, whatever it might be, people like brought up their passion before they brought up their work. Cause you would say, what do you do with your time? That's nice. I like that. Yeah. Or how do you, how do you, how do you spend your days? Like, what yeah, do you what do you do? What do you do? What do you do with, instead of what do you do? Cause in Orange County, what do you do is literally like a, and within our system, uh, Rob and I, and you kind of know the method of system a little bit, mm-hmm. um, within the system that Rob and I both grew up in, like, where are you appointed is actually can be a judge, like your, your, like there are appointments that are yeah. more prime than other appointments. And it literally is a way of scaling people in a weird hierarchy and people's reaction to, oh, you're there or, oh, like people ask what I did when I got appointed to Costa Mesa. What did you do? <laughs> like, I didn't oh, do I'm anything. So, I asked. I'm so sorry. Oh. <laughs> that's, the, that's the response. Well, friends, this yeah. isn't a delightful hour. We know that Rob has to go to work, even though it's like the dead of night for you guys. I would love if there's like one piece of advice you would give someone who either has just made this decision or is thinking about it, Rob, what would it be? And you know what? We should probably ask our guests this before they come on. Cause I feel like there's a big, uh, but off the top of your head, uh, what is one piece of advice you would kind of give anyone kind of asking these big questions about vocation? You know, I had the benefit of watching Star Wars with the girls before we uh, came on to this podcast. And it was the one, it's Empire Strikes Back, where Yoda's like, do or do not, there is no try. That's going to be my advice. You've either got to do this and go full bore into what God has in store for you, or stay where you are. There there is no middle ground in this. Um, You have to let yourself be who you were meant to be. Stop trying to, to placate and to to predicate all your things on what you, what you, what you need to get done at the church over the next 16 years. Think about what you need right now, because those are the moments where it's easy to say, okay, I can do this or I can't do this. There is no in-between. We have to try. We, we have to try to, to, to get to a point where we can be okay with not trying, right? Like we've got to, we've got to take that leap and be content with that leap. I love it. Whatever you do, do. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Well, thank you so much, friends, for joining us. Stick around. You'll get to hear the poem of the week, which we'll be recording at another time. So (laughs) we don't, it's going to be as much of a surprise to us as it is to you. you. Guys, thank you again. Rob, thank you so much. We know that your life is full. And so thank you for taking time to hang out with us. And uh, we know that whatever you're doing, it is bringing joy and goodness into the world. And it's raising two incredible girls. So thank you for that. Friends, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rev Covery Podcast. We just so appreciate you reaching out to us and letting us know that this podcast is having an impact on your lives. I want to give you a little bit of an update. We are working really hard to create space uh, for folks to be able to engage with each other. Right now we're doing that on Instagram and Twitter underneath Rev Covery Room. So you can find us there, but we're going to be creating a discord for community members and working towards Patreon support and all that kind of stuff. So that will be coming out soon. I think one of the most important things as we are sitting in an incredibly heavy time in history, a difficult time, is that we have each other and we have community. And so again, I want to let folks know that part of what I've been doing since leaving ministry is helping people transition from whatever this is to that through coaching. So thank you to those who have reached out. I'm looking forward to getting to know some of you. And if that's something you're interested in, you can always find me at revsarahheath at gmail.com or on Instagram at revsarahheath. 
Also, a huge thank you to Rev Rob Lee for sharing his story this week. It truly is just great to hear how different people experience the transition of how they do ministry or whether they do ministry in such different ways. So hopefully that spoke to some of you who are kind of still maintaining in ministry. We've got lots of different and varying stories coming out. So thank you for Rev Rob Lee sharing his. I also want to let you know that uh, at the end of every episode, We are going to be sharing some sort of reading or poem that really spoke to us as we kind of reflected on the episode itself. Because as we went through all of our, I guess, transitions, we found ourselves really impacted by the writings and poetry of others. And so Justin and I wanted to share that part of our lives as we were sharing them with each other. So I wanted to share with you some writing by another one of my really good friends, um, Morgan Harper Nichols. And if you don't know Morgan's work, she creates poetry and art around the stories that folks send into her. She never really reveals what the story is, but she just reveals her reaction. So I thought that today's reading from Morgan Harper Nichols really fits the story that we just heard. And again, if this isn't your jam, you are welcome to not listen. (laughs) And if it is something that means a lot to you, I hope that you receive it in in a way that is helpful. So here we go. When you start to feel like things should have been better this year, remember the mountains and valleys that got you here. They are not accidents. And those moments weren't in vain. You are not the same. You have grown and you are growing. You are breathing, you are living, you are wrapped in endless, boundless grace. And things will get better. There is more to you than yesterday. Again, friends, thanks so much for listening. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.